0: It seems like about every two or three months I need to, or at least I should, give a little disclaimer at the beginning of the sermon, a, a reminder that in the Episcopal Church we expect everyone to think for themselves, and so if I say something that you don't agree with, or something that just doesn't ring true to you, part of your responsibility, at least internally, is to set that aside and go with whatever God is telling you to think about this morning. And the reason I say that is I'm going to say something that counters what many people were brought up to believe if they did not grow up in the Episcopal Church. And that is that the devil is not very powerful at all. Really, the devil is about like a three-year-old child, maybe, at best. Now, When we think of the devil, at least for myself, I think of all the fantastic special effects that I see in movies in which the devil is a character. Big billowing smoke and flames and lightning bolts and all that good stuff that makes the devil a compelling character, makes the devil look powerful and awesome and and something you're interested in seeing what happens to in that movie. But when we look at the devil's role in the scripture, and particularly in this morning's gospel, it's completely different. As you perhaps noticed, in this story, no lightning bolts, no fire, no smoke, no special effects. Instead, this conversation between Satan and Jesus. Now, what this reveals is how stupid the devil is. And It's just massively stupid. (laughs) It's three-year-old and below stupid. In fact, it's insulting to a three-year-old to say that the devil is stupid as a three-year-old in this morning's Gospel. This is evidence to us that we don't have to worry about the devil. And in fact, if you're an Episcopalian, it's fine if you just see the devil as a metaphor. You don't even have to believe that the devil actually exists because it's basically saying, do I care about what a three-year-old thinks? Not really, because I'm a grown-up. So, in this morning's gospel, we have Jesus, who has been fasting for 40 days, have this conversation with the devil. And this conversation, if we give the devil the special effects treatment, sounds on the surface like, whoa, yeah, this is some heavy stuff, turn and stones into bread and throw yourself off a temple. My goodness, this is huge. No, it's not. It's trivial. First of all, let's look at that bread thing where Jesus has been fasting for 40 days. He's hungry. The devil says, oh, take this one rock and make a loaf of bread. Then you get to eat. We know as readers of the gospel that not too many chapters down the road Jesus is going to make gazillions of loaves of bread. That he doesn't even need stones to do this. He doesn't have at the, be- at the beginning of the feeding of the thousands, he doesn't have the disciples go around and gather up thousands of rocks so that he can make thousands of loaves of bread. Instead it's you no, know, wing! They're loaves of bread for all. In one of the gospels there's fish as well. So the devil saying, hey, how about this loaf of bread out of a rock? Uh, not very impressive. And if we read further on into the scripture, into the second book that the gospel of Luke is connected to, the book of Acts, we see where there's a story of Peter who is hungry. But he's not 40 days hungry. He's staying with a nice family. He's had a big breakfast. He goes up, it says in this story from the book of Acts chapter 10, He goes up on the rooftop to pray, and it's lunchtime. So he's feeling a little bit hungry, just a little bit. And God provides this massive blanket full of food. Not just one loaf of bread, no stone needed. What the devil is offering? Small potatoes. In fact, Luke may purposely be writing this in a way that we give a little giggle when we hear what Satan is offering haven't eaten in 40 days one loaf of bread not much haven't eaten for 3 hours you get a whole feast so not so big what Satan is offering and then the second thing that Satan offers is for Jesus to be king of all the kingdoms now part of what's going on here is Jesus is at this point still a human being And so if he's around 30 years old, which we think, he's well beyond middle-aged for someone of that generation, that culture, and that health statistic. And so Satan's offering, what, 10, 15 years maybe of being king of the world? Maybe even less. We know how human kings are treated now and then, rulers. They don't always last, even if they live for a while. So Not a whole lot being offered there, particularly compared to what Jesus will become after the resurrection, the Savior of the whole wide world. And through the Godhead, the one who is the God over the whole wide world. So, you know, being made king, not a big deal. Not a huge, huge offer being made, but it's the best Satan can do right at that moment. And at any moment. And then finally, there's this temptation of Jesus climb up on the temple and throw yourself off, and you won't die. It's sort of like this bungee cord experience that Satan's offering Jesus: of, oh yeah, just throw yourself off, the angels will catch you, no problem. Well, maybe there is. This is one of those things, one of those instances where I really think of Satan as having the intelligence and wisdom of a three-year-old. Because what we know about Jesus is that he is a human being. And that even when under Pontius Pilate, Jesus was suffering and died, the angels did not come and save him. So this was an instance where Satan was just flat out wrong in saying what would happen. So like a a three-year-old saying, yeah, I can jump off the top bunk of the bed, of the bunk beds and not get hurt? Well, maybe, maybe not. Not really smart. Not really wise, this devil guy. Jesus was able to respond to these temptations in part because, the scripture says, he was filled with the Holy Spirit. He was filled with the wisdom of God and could respond to them with just one Bible verse. That's How simple the devil is in this story. How simplistic. What is simpleton? How easy it is to say no. Now, we are supposed to gather from this story a certain amount of comfort that when we are tempted, God will, in fact, be with us. And the Holy Spirit will be with us. And that we will be able to resist temptations as Jesus did. And so... We should look at this story also to see how weak the devil is. And again, you don't even have to believe in the devil. We can just say it's a metaphor for evil. But we can say that the forces of evil outside of ourselves will not overwhelm us. That God shows in this story and so many others that Satan isn't much more than a court jester If you read the book of Job, that's explicitly the role that Satan has in talking with God. A court jester being frivolous and mischievous and joking and a practical jokester as well. We don't have to worry about evil. Jesus is more powerful. God is more powerful. The Holy Spirit is more powerful than Satan on to purposely use a silly expression, on the Holy Spirit's worst day, the Holy Spirit is much more powerful than Satan. But that doesn't make for a good movie. And so the scriptwriters, the artists, the poets, the authors, the sculptors through the generations, through a couple thousand years, have made Satan into this interesting, fantastic, powerful figure. It's as if they need a counter-superhero to Jesus. That they need the bad guy so Jesus can be the good guy. And in order to make the conflict interesting, at least for the first two hours of the movie, they have to be almost evenly matched. But they're not. And we make a huge mistake in our own spiritual lives if we think they are. Now, admittedly, the church is an institution Certain branches of it, they've marketed themselves based on fear of Satan. Fear sells things, it sells deodorants. We don't, we're fearful of smelling in a social situation. And so having the devil as a character of fear, as an object of fear, can help fill the pews on a Sunday. And so that gets emphasized. But it's not real. It's not true. The scripture does not support that. Instead, what the scripture says again and again is God is light years beyond the power of anything Satan can do. And the biggest reason for that is the only thing Satan can do is tempt human beings and get us to make free will bad choices. And again, That can be simply a metaphor. That we have free will to live our lives any way we choose. And we can choose whether to do evil things or good things. You get enough people choosing evil things and it looks like there's a Satan afoot. But it's probably, well it's certain, just a lot of people choosing to do bad things. Choosing to be selfish, choosing to live out of fear, choosing To do things that God does not want to have happen. And one of the ways God has set up the universe is for us to have free will. And therefore we can choose to be like Satan. We can choose to be instruments of evil. You see, you can't make someone love you. You can't make someone out of fear love you. And so God gave us complete free will. We can't fear God and love God. We can only love in order to have the true, healthy relationship that Jesus invites us into, that God desires to have with the entire human race. So the reason that bad things happen it ain't that the devil made me do it. It's instead that I chose to be selfish. Where I chose to live my life in a way that does not love. And that multiplied by millions creates quite an evil force, but not one that's driven by some superhero bad guy, but one that's driven by our own selfish hearts. That's why it's so important to have seasons like Lent where we step back and evaluate our motivations, evaluate how we're living, evaluate what our ethics are. Sort of have a little time out from routine life and see whether or not we're living out the love that God has given us through our day-to-day lives. Whether, to see whether or not we are living in a way that makes the world a better place or a worse place. It's that simple equation. That's whether or not the devil or evil is winning out. Are we living in a way that makes the world a better place or a worse place? What's fantastic is that when not even a very large number of people decide to live in God's grace and with God's guidance, evil is very quickly vanished. That three-year-old is sent to his room and isn't heard from again. Instead, the world is transformed and very quickly and deep to its roots The results are what we call, accurately, miraculous because we are making miracles happen when we choose to love, when we choose to live generously, when we choose to live out of the guidance that God gives us rather than out of our own selfish desires. So when you read this story, realize how simplistic evil is. How simplistic the devil is in this account. And therefore, how easy it is to resist temptation. How easy it is to live a good life. Not because we create a way to do it, but because, like Jesus did in the wilderness, we are filled with the Holy Spirit. And we simply have to access that energy, that love, that guidance, to live lives that overcome temptation that set aside evil, that shares with the rest of the world the love that transforms the world to make it a better place, not just for ourselves, but for all of creation. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen.